Welcome to Puritans Read, where we read aloud great Puritan works, authors, and biographies. Today, episode 22 of The Almost Christian Discovered by Matthew Mead. Brother Mead is talking about the difference between natural conscience and renewed conscience. Question, but you will say, why does that man abate and languish in his duties that does them from a natural conscience more than he that does them from a renewed conscience? Answer, the reason is because they grow upon a fallible root, a decaying root, and that is nature. Nature is a fading root, and so are all its fruits fading. But the duties done by a renewed conscience are fruits that grow upon a lasting root, and that is Christ. Gifts have their root in nature, but grace has its root in Christ. And therefore, the weakest grace shall outlive the greatest gifts and parts, because there is life in the root of the one and not in that of the other. Gifts and graves differ, like the leather of your shoe and the skin of your foot. Take a pair of shoes that have the thickest soles, and if you walk much in them, the leather wears out, and in a little time, a man's foot comes to the ground. But now, a man who goes barefoot all his days, the skin of his feet does not wear out. Why should not the sole of his foot sooner wear out than the sole of his shoe? For the leather is much thicker than the skin. The reason is because there is life in the one and not in the other. There is life in the skin of the foot, and therefore that holds out and grows thicker and thicker, harder and harder. But there is no life in the sole of his shoe, and therefore it wears out and waxes thinner and thinner. So it is with gifts and grace. Now, then, if I decay, abate, grow weary of a profession, and fall away at last, if I begin in the spirit and end in the flesh, then all I did was from a natural conscience. But if I grow and hold out, if I persevere to the end, and my last works are more than my first, then... I act from a renewed conscience, and thus I have, in seven things, answered that question, namely, if conscience may go thus far in putting a man upon duties, then what difference is there between this natural conscience in hypocrites and sinners and renewed conscience in believers? And that is the first answer to the main query, namely, how is it that many men go so far that they come to be almost Christians? It is to answer the call of conscience. Second, it is from the power of the word under which they live. Though the word does not work effectually upon all, yet it has a great power upon the hearts of sinners to reform them, though not to renew them. Number one, it has a discerning, discovering power. 
The word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. This is the glass wherein everyone may see what man he is. As the light of the sun discovers the little motes, so the light of the word shining into conscience discovers little sins. Number two, the word has the power of a law. It gives law to the whole soul and binds conscience. It is therefore frequently called the law in scripture unless thy law had been my delight, etc. To the law and to the testimony, this is spoken of the whole word of God, which is therefore called a law because of its binding power upon the conscience. Number three, it has a judging power. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him at the last day. The sentence that God will pass upon sinners hereafter is no other than what the word passes upon them here. The judgment of God is not a day wherein God will pass any new sentence, but it is such a day wherein God will make a solemn public ratification of the judgment passed by the ministry of the word upon souls here. This I gather clearly from Matthew eighteen eighteen, Whatsoever ye shall bind in earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven, so that by bringing a man's heart to the word and trying it by that, he may quickly know what that sentence is, that God will pass upon his soul in the last day. For as the judgment of the word is now, such will the judgment of God be concerning him in the last day. Indeed, there is a twofold power further than this in the word. It has a begetting and saving power, but this is put forth only upon some. But the other is more extensive and has a great causality upon a profession of goodness, even among them who have no grace. A man who is under this threefold power of discerning law and judgment, who has his heart ransacked and discovered, his conscience bound and awed, his state and sinful condition judged and condemned, may take up a resolution of a new life and convert himself to great profession of religion. Third, a man may go far in this course of profession from affectation of applause and credit and to get a name in the world. As it is said of the Pharisees, they love to pray in the marketplaces and in the corners of the streets to be seen of men. Many are of Machiavel's principle that the appearance of virtue is to be sought because 
Though the use of it is a trouble, yet the credit of it is help. Jerome, in his epistle to Julian, calls such the base bond slaves of common fame. Many a man does that for credit which he will not do for conscience, and owns religion more for the sake of lust than for the sake of Christ, thus making God's stream to turn the devil's mill. Fourth, it is from a desire of salvation. There is in all men a desire of salvation. It is natural to every being to love and seek its own preservation. Who will show us any good? This is the language of nature, seeking happiness to itself. Many a man may be carried so far out in the desires of salvation as to do many things to obtain it. So did the young man. Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? He went far and did much, obeying many commands and all out of desire of salvation. So then put these together, and there is an answer to that question. The call of conscience, the power of the word, the affectation of credit, and the desire of salvation. These may carry a man so far as to be almost a Christian. Question four. How is it that many are but almost Christians when they have gone thus far? What is the cause of this? Answer. I might multiply answers to this question, but I shall instance in only two which I judge the most material. First, it is for lack of right and sound conviction. If a man is not thoroughly convinced of sin and his heart truly broken, whatever his profession of godliness may be, yet he will be sure to miscarry. Every work of conviction is not a thorough work. There are convictions that are only natural and rational but not from the powerful work of the Spirit of God. Rational conviction is that which proceeds from the working of a natural conscience charging guilt from the light of nature by the help of those common principles of reason that are in all men. This is the conviction you read of in Romans 2, 14-15. It is said that the Gentiles who did not have the law, still had their consciences bearing witness and accusing or excusing one another. Though they did not have the light of Scripture, yet they had conviction from the light of nature. Now, by the help of the gospel light, these convictions may be much improved, and yet the heart not renewed. But then there is a spiritual conviction and this is that work of the Spirit of God upon the sinner's heart by the word, whereby the guilt 
and filth of sin is fully discovered and the woe and misery of a natural state distinctly set home upon the conscience to the dread and terror of the sinner while he abides in that state and condition. And this is the conviction that is a sound and thorough work. Many have their convictions, but not this spiritual conviction. This concludes episode 22 of The Almost Christian Discovered by Matthew Mead.